0: Thank you. Well, good morning. My name is Daniel Budd, and we are so uh, happy that you are joining us on this Memorial Day uh, weekend. And um, just so that we are in the spirit of giving thanks to the heroes, the fallen ones, I, um, I want to invite you to watch a clip from a movie called We Were Soldiers. And uh, the clip kind of captures uh, chapel time. ...of two soldiers, a colonel, and uh, he is in a chapel with one of his uh, subordinates the day before they go on the battlefield. And um, I just want you to grasp this nature, the nature of this tension and what are they talking about before going on the battlefield... of So on this special day, if you are a veteran, or if you serve in uniform, or if you had somebody in your family that uh, served, we just want to say a big thank you. Thank you for your service, and thank you for your sacrifice. It is our freedom that we owe to the sacrifice of those who uh, are fallen heroes. And um, so thank you to all of you. As a society, we do honor and we admire heroes, right? We admire heroes that are fallen or that are veterans today. We admire successful people. We like to read magazines like Forbes and say, you know, what are the five things that successful people do? And and we wonder, you know, if there's something they do differently in weekends. You know, what time do they wake up in the morning? What is their daily routines, you know, what What do they do to raise successful kids, right? And it can be a successful teacher, a successful uh, nurse, it can be a successful parent or mother or a successful farmer, accountant, whatever. And we want to know, we are fascinated and we say, what do they do to be successful and to succeed? And this morning I want to say that we also have Or maybe ought to have this fascination with successful heroes of faith. You know, we want to see what heroes of faith do so that they can make it to the pages of the Bible. There is a chapter in the Bible. It's in the book of Hebrews 11. That has a list of successful faith heroes. Throughout history, from the beginning to the point where the Hebrews, this letter was written. This is a book that talks about many things, the supremacy of Christ, but also in chapter 11 says, there were many Christ followers that were fate, faithful, and that they lived through faith. And by faith, they made it into this list of heroes, faith heroes. So this morning, we will look at them, and uh, it's interesting. I asked some of the people on, on Facebook, you know, what is your hero, or who is your hero of faith, and and some said, it's my dad. And one of the people that answered said, my dad read sermons after he came to this country as an immigrant in Dutch to the recent immigrants who were still speaking Dutch. And it was on Sunday afternoon. And he was not a preacher, but my mom gave an extra scrub to the shirt that he used on Sunday because he uh, he had a lot of sweat during the sermon time. But But she said... He was a model, and he modeled the Savior in the way that he lived. Somebody else said, it was my mom and dad. They were my faith heroes. They were people of faith, and they showed it. So I'm not sure who is your faith hero. But all of us want to make sure that at the end of our lives, we are also heroes. And some of you don't even know. But whether you are a parent, you are an uncle, whether you are a grandparent or great-grandparent... People look at you and usually they forget to tell you how much you mean to them, how much you influence them, and how big of a hero you are to them. And sometimes you hear those at the memorial services. But it's so good to hear those before we pass away, before we move to eternity. And I am glad that sometimes we have a chance, and sometimes some of you. You share those things. You know, when when a grandchild wrote to you and said, Grandpa or Grandma, I never told you this, but I just want to say to you that every day when I pray to God, I thank God for you and for who you are and for what you modeled for me and how big of an influence you have on my life. And I am so grateful that even in the winter of your life, you follow the Lord. So this morning, a question for us is, how is your faith? You know, we we ask, what what do you do with faith, you know? How about your faith? What, What would you like to see in your faith? You see, these people, in Hebrews chapter 11, basically the whole letter was written to people that were very religious. They were very religious. It was an audience that practiced strictly they wanted God's approval by what they did. They practiced Judaism. They, they followed the law. They kept God's rules, the laws and the festival of the Jewish religion. They were very faithful. And they wanted to serve God religiously. They wanted their religion to be a service to their God. They wanted God's approval in the end. They wanted to get an A plus from God for their faithfulness. But you see what this chapter tells them. And it's kind of a big, big shocker is that you see people that are admired. They are not necessarily the faith heroes are not admired for their good works. Those are important. But good works basically says you trust in your integrity. But they are admired for something else. And it's faith. Because by faith we trust. And they trusted in God's integrity. By faith they became righteous. Or their faith was counted as righteousness and I heard this explanation what it means to be counted your faith as righteousness is almost saying and maybe accountants get it better but it's saying that you have a bank account and somebody says oh I um I wonder if you have that deposit in 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 the account can you check it and you know that you never send uh anything there The, the the account should be empty and yet, God says, when He looks at us, fallen, sinful, broken, fragile, always up to faint. He looks at us, and although our account of righteousness is empty. He says, He counted our fate as righteousness. So, He fills up the account and says, yes, the money is there. It's all there. And it's not because... We filled it out, but because there's somebody, a bigger hero for all of us, who can give to all of us a full account based on our faith. But you see, all of these people in Hebrews 11, it says, in, chap- in verse 11, chapter 2, it says, This faith of these people is what the ancients were commended for. This is, this is something that it was a shocker for them. Because all of them, they wanted a good report from God. And yet now the letter tells them, this letter of Hebrews says, it is not by good works. It's not by going to church every day. It is not by sacrifices to God. But it is by faith. By faith. And they say, how can it be? They are very puzzled. And look what it says in verse verse 1. Now what is faith, you might say. What is faith? And... The the verse kind of defines faith for us in one way. There are many ways to define, but this is the Hebrews' way of defining faith. Now, faith is confidence. It is confidence in what we hope for. And it is assurance about what we do not see. It is confidence in what we hope for. I like what Calvin says about that. Calvin says that that confidence is a word that describes some sort of the essence of a thing. The essence of something that is not there but is there. You have the essence. You have God's promise that he will save us. That he will heal all of our illnesses, right? But Calvin says, but look around. We are suffering. We are getting sick. We die of cancer. There are many illnesses that touch our bodies, although we are promised eternal life. And then basically Calvin says, maybe eternal life is promised to the dead. You have to die to get it. But you see, faith, by faith, we can start this eternal life now. Now, even if you accept Christ in this life... Your body stays the same. If you have a broken arm or a missing leg or if you have a disease, it doesn't mean that it's, it's going to grow back, your arm, missing limb. You know, if, if you think of these heroes that come from the battlefront and, and they need these prosthetics, you know, even when they are following Christ faithfully, they will still deal with the loss of their limbs. Our body is not necessarily made perfect in this life. So we have a confidence in what we hope for. That one day, one day we will receive that beautiful body. That it will be eternal, perfect. And one day we will stop feeling pain. We are promised that we are blessed, right? That we have an abundant abundant life. That we are blessed if we are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And yet, many people in the world, even today, they die of hunger. And they could be faithful people. We are promised in the Bible that God will protect us, right? That He will watch over us. That He will never abandon us. And even today, many people, Christians, faithful people, are in jail or in concentration and labor camps in different parts of the world because they are faithful. You see... In this life, only our soul is saved. But our body is not. Our body is going to experience decay. And uh, our soul, though, is in God's hand. And somehow our spirit is also being transformed, renewed day by day. We are transformed to be more like Jesus until we will see him one day face to face. And we will totally be like him. But you see, only our soul today, if something happens to our body, if somebody were to say, you know, we are going to behead you today because you will believe in Christ. There's nothing, there's nothing that they can do, says the Bible. And Jesus says, do not fear those who can kill the body. Do not fear because what they do is they just separate your soul from their body. But your soul will be with God. In fact, Paul says that. If I am not here with you, I am with the Lord. And I like what somebody says that if you shoot me or you behead me, the moment of my head or my body hits the ground, I am in my Lord's Savior. My soul is secure in Him. And that's why we profess that we do not belong to ourselves. We belong to our Lord Jesus. And we belong to Him totally. So that is faith. Faith is basically grabbing, holding onto something that nobody else sees. If I say to you that I have here a handle, do you believe it? But look, I can Lean against it. I can pull myself up, you see. And that's faith. It's basically something that we hope it will happen, but it's not here. People don't see it because it's it's an assurance about what we do not see. That's faith. It's an assurance about what we do not see. The world looks at us and says, you are weird people because you believe something that, that nobody else can see. You see, for me, it was very important when um, I saw for the first time the book of C.S. Lewis, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia. Back in the communist time, I was a teenager, and we couldn't get the whole book. But we did get like an abbreviated little booklet called The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. It was my first access to kind of a Western type of literature in terms of a novel. But it it just blew me away. Because I lived in a culture that said there is nothing beyond this world. If you don't see it, there is nothing. If, if, if you don't see it, it doesn't exist. If you don't touch it, there is nothing there. And I said, no, there is something there. There is something spiritual. And when this book came out, I said, you see, I told you. So I gave it to all my friends. And I said, look at this book. Do you see that there is a world? There is a wall behind this wardrobe, behind the back wall. And they kept saying, no, 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 I touch it, and it's just, it's just furry coats. And there's no snow behind. There's no Narnia. And I said, there is a world. And every time I went, and I was like Lucy, you know, God, God says, without faith, you cannot please God. It is impossible. But for me, that opened up. And then Lucy, I was so interesting when she said, I went, and suddenly I felt that I'm stepping on snow. I suddenly felt cold, and it was a wind chill. Because suddenly she steps into a world that nobody else, maybe before, experienced. And she said, "Wow, what a world!" So by faith, by faith, we do believe in God, and that's what Hebrews says. By faith, verse three, we understand that the universe was formed by God at God's command, so that what is seen, what is seen, what is seen, what we see is, and was not made of out of what is visible. It is a powerful statement that the universe was created ex nihilo, out of nothing. There was just God's act of His power, saying, "Let there be matter," and there was light, and this universe came into being out of things that was that were not visible. But this faith is is. The object of the attack of the enemy. The enemy always wants to destroy your faith. We think, no, he wants to take away my car or he wants me to lose my job and then I will lose my house. Look, he wants to take away my child's health or my wife's health. My mother is dying because of this illness or, you know, and we say, the devil is after me and he wants to take all of these things from me. But just think about it. When Job was under, under attack, was the devil really after his children who died, all of them? Was he really after his wealth when he lost everything? What was the point with Job? And his wife kind of points to me and said, God is hating you. Curse God and you will die too. And said, no, no, I bless him when he gave. And I am going to bless him and thank him when he takes away. He is the one that gives and takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I will never curse God. Because he knows what's going on. My life is in his hands. And Job, the one that suffers so much, is one of the faith heroes. And Jesus says, when you go to troubles, have faith in me. Trust in me, trust in me, trust in me and my Father. Don't let your faith turn into doubt and doubt into unbelief. You see, faith lives in a neighborhood, somebody said, you know. Lives in a neighborhood, like in a neighborhood. In this house is faith, in the next house is doubt, in the next one is anxiety, and in the next one is depression. And we live in this neighborhood, and faith is always challenged, you know. And it's so powerful to see these heroes of faith, and we are going to look at four of them in chapter eleven. And what do they do to stay faithful? The one is the first one is Abel. He worshipped by faith. He worshipped by faith. Remember, he and his brother, they brought sacrifices. It was believed in that time that if the smoke of your, of your sacrifice at uh, the altar goes up to heaven, then it's accepted. And look at Cain. You know, his smoke goes kind of, you don't see it, but it goes into the woods, into the forest. By faith, by faith, Abel, the Bible says, brought God a better offering than Cain did. It wasn't because he was better in terms of righteous, but he brought it with faith. By faith, he was commanded as righteous. These who blow away the Jews. But he says, by faith, when God spoke well of his offering, basically God said, I'm giving you an A+. Abel, you are accepted by faith. His brother cannot stand. He got a D or an F. And he said, I'm going to kill him. And Cain did kill Abel. But it is because of his faith that he was counted righteous, the Bible says. Because of his faith. You see, we live in a secular society that, say, that basically says, faith, it makes no difference. It's a society that tells us, like Cain, you know, you can come up to God the way you want. You can be confused about your identity. You can be confused about your religion. And basically, we are in danger Of allowing secular news to teach us a secular theology so that we can have a cultural religion. We allow the culture to grow us so that we believe and we have our theology in the culture. But look at Cain, you know. Cain and the cultural religion is not God approved. It's not going to get God's approval. Cain thought that he has a way to come to God. And God said, no, look at Abel. Even when he is dead, his blood still speaks to us today. You killed him, Cain, but his blood speaks to us through the generations. Even in death, maybe you will still be a hero to your next generations in your family. So that was Abel, right? He walked. He worshiped God by faith. The next one is Enoch. He walked by faith. maybe about Enoch. not many know. Maybe you never heard of him or maybe you heard of him. There's not much in the Bible about Enoch. But what's interesting is that Genesis says that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. He walked with God 300 years. It doesn't mean that he was alone. It doesn't mean that he didn't love his family. No. It means that as he did life, as he maybe worked, as he woke up in the morning and fed his kids and took care of the farm, as he did all those things, like a regular parent or grandparent, he walked with God. And he became, he became God's friend in good times. As well in bad times. Do you think that he didn't have bad times in those 300 years? If you walked with God and if he was noticed, it means that the society, the culture, they were not. That he stood out. That he was kind of a weird guy. The peculiar guy. And in fact, it means that his friendship with God made him so unusual that God said, you will come to me directly. You don't have to experience that anymore. Would you please just step up? And be in my presence. I am going to transform your body and welcome you with me. Because he was walking with God and he knew that if I die, I'm going to be with him. And if I leave, I'm going to be with him. The same thing Paul says, right? It is better to me to be here in this body. But... But if I live here, it's, it's I live for Christ. And if I die, I'm going to be with Christ. And I don't know which one is better. But he basically says the same thing like Enoch Paul says. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether I am here or there. I am still with Christ in good times and in bad times. I like what some, somebody said, you know, again on Facebook. He says, my hero was my dad. Definitely my dad. He was an amazing man of God. My, my biggest prayer warrior. He and mom taught us kids, five kids, to know, love, and trust the Lord in every season of life. In joy and in sorrows. In good times and in bad times. Don't seek God only when you need something from Him. When you say, I need a good job now. I need another job to save. I need to save my Lord. I I seek it because it's about, I'm going to... I need to be healed. I need to be, to get up of this, of this bed and run. Or maybe you say, I, I need a bigger paycheck to cover the expenses. Or maybe I don't know what to do. We just, Lord, I, I am pregnant. I don't know what to do now. Don't seek only when you need. Because being God's friend, being God's friend means that you live in a godless world that watches you. And they don't appreciate what you do. And maybe the clear example of how the world reacts to us is the next hero of faith. And that is Noah. He walked and worked. We worship like Abel. We walk by Enoch and we work by faith. Like Noah. What's interesting with Noah is it says... With Noah, it says, by faith Noah, when warned about things not seen in his holy fear, built an ark to save his family. Have you ever thought that, you know, Noah's kids survived the flood? They survived the flood because of of his faith. You can help your kids survive and be saved. Because of your faith. Look what somebody else wrote also. Who was my hero? My dad was my hero. Why? Because he taught me about Jesus with words and deeds. He helped me to be saved by Jesus because I saw in my dad what it means to love Jesus with words and deeds. And that's what Noah did. His children, by faith, he says, by faith, he built an ark. Why? Why? To save his family. Sometimes you have to do crazy things to save your family. Can you imagine years and years, decades, building that ark? People looking around and say, what are you doing? Are you crazy? There's no water here. What is it? Uh, well, this is going to flow. What float on what? Can you imagine that weird neighbor being there for years and for years, for generation and another generation. And kids come around and say, oh, daddy, do you remember that crazy guy, you know, building? Yeah, he's still he's still knocking and still nailing things. And he's still cutting trees and stuff like that. What is he doing? Oh, he's on that project for his entire life. You know, he's a weirdo. You want to go and see him? Let's have a laugh. Can you imagine the scorn? People will abandon you, you know. People will abandon you. They say, well, I am your friend. Well, until you do something weird like that, then you see how many friends you have. You know, until you get sick and after like three, three weeks in, in a bed, then you, then you can count your friends. Those who can still visit you, right? Can still knock at the door and say, well, can I help you? Those are your true friends. But can you believe Noah? Noah kind of lost a lot of friends because nobody, when he was ready to get into the, they, they were not believing in him. But God stood by him. Through all of those things, he had this holy fear of God that kept him going, kept him building. He didn't say, God, if you know what's going to happen, you do it. I will just sit here and look at how you build the ark. No, he says, I have to build it. Basically, God said, you build an ark. Because he told him some secret knowledge. And we have, all of us, that secret revelation, we know what's going to happen In our world history and in the church history, and how it's going to end. And God said, I am entrusting you the secrets of the kingdom, the mystery of God's grace. And you should spread this around. You should tell people that there is a Savior, that there is a God. And by faith, they have to approach Him because without faith, it's impossible for anyone to grasp, to believe, to be pleased, and to be people of God. He became a fool. But he did build the ark. you know can you imagine that God God later on used Apostle Paul and said, "Me too, says Paul, I became a fool for Christ, and in fact, people, especially those who think that are wise, like the Greeks and their culture, the Romans, they look at us and they say, You are foolish, and your gospel is foolishness for the Greeks. But the question for us is, have you built anything for eternity? Have you built anything where your kids can come and say Because my parents did this, because my grandparents did this, I am now saved. I knew the Lord. They showed me Christ through their deeds, through their words, through how they reacted, how they related to God. And finally, I think the challenge is for us to move to the fourth one and the final model, which is Abraham. Abraham, and most of of the next verses from 8 to 20 or even following... It's a lot about Abraham, what he did. But basically, he obeyed God. And from the beginning, God says, come out of the Ur, you know, which is maybe today's Iraq, like Mosul and those areas. Come out of Mosul and follow me. And he left everything, and he went to a country and to a destination. He had no clue, no idea where it is. But he believed that God's promise is true. And then later on, when God says, I'm going to give you... An inheritance, you are going to grow to be people, great people. He gave his son Isaac, and then he gave a command. said, now go and sacrifice him. And Abraham, it says here, he believed that God, who gave him Isaac when he was old, when Sarah was impossible to have kids, said he believed that God can raise him from the dead, even if he obeys and kills and sacrifices him. And the verse says, and indeed, Isaac was kind of received back as resurrected. He wasn't killed, but he was received back as resurrected. But Abraham was not perfect. You see, some people might call him the lying Abraham. Man, he was a big liar. He lied even to the kings and to to princesses, you know, about his wife. Not only once, several times. She said, oh, she's my sister. Because he was afraid. So, you see, he was righteous by his faith, not by his deeds. God didn't say, well, now, by his faith. This was very strange to the Jews, right? To say, by faith you receive a good report from God. But there is something else in his life. And there is this outlook that he had on life. This outlook because he looked in, in a different way. His faith in God made him look at the promised land, at God's promises, at the milk and honey that God promised to him in a different way. The Bible says that he lived as like an alien and stranger in a foreign country. He was in the promised land. He was in a promised land, yet. Look what he says: by faith he made his home in the promised land. But not like an owner, not like a settler. He made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents. And then he says. And so did Isaac and Jacob, his sons, the next generation. So they, the next two generations, they lived in tents. Because they were looking forward to the city of God. They knew that if they establish themselves and they think that the promised land of milk and honey is there in Israel or in Palestine today or in that area, people can take it from them. But look what they said, but they were looking for, he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. They were looking for something that is beyond the human eyes can see, beyond what people can take, you know. And it's interesting, it says, you know, if they would have looked for something on earth, when they saw that they don't have the promised land as owners, the Bible says they would have had the opportunity to return. They could have gone back. Say, oh, I'm going back to Mosul, to Ur, where God called me. I have family there. I have property there. But he said they never returned back because they knew that their country is up in heaven. And finally, not only Abraham, but everybody else, they endured persecution for their faith. Look what the Bible says in the same chapter. It says, others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. They saw that. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the word was not worthy of them. Yet they wander in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Does it remember? I mean, it just brings memories of today. The same thing. People are persecuted for their faith. And they gladly accepted that persecution. Because they knew that they are not looking for something on this earth. And I like how the next chapter, 12... Starts I said, you know, and finally, it's our hero. It's not us. It's not our faith in us. It's our faith in Christ. Therefore, we, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the scene that so easily entangles. And let us fix our eyes on the biggest hero of all times, on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Even our faith is not perfect. Even our faith, we are not the authors of it. But there is an author and a perfecter, and that's Jesus. So if you are here this morning, remember that we need to worship. We need to worship sincerely by faith, like Abel. If you never put your trust in God, today is your time to say, I trust in you, Lord. I'm not just here to show, to meet with friends. To find somebody that approves of me or to check on things, how things are going. I'm here to worship you. And I hear that you call me to leave and, and to worship you sincerely. So I, I want to be like Abel, to bring my heart to you. And that's what Calvin says, my heart sincerely I offer to you, Lord. Promptly, promptly. So do that this morning. And then remember that we need to walk by faith like Enoch. We need to work through faith. Through faith. Like Noah who built the ark and saved his family. We need to obey like Abraham who was faithful. Although not perfect, but he was faithful and he is called the father of all the faithful people. So what do you do with your faith? How is your faith this morning? I hope that you hear God's call to trust in our Savior Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. And in this day to remember that he is the greatest hero that can give us not only a kingdom or a country in which we live in this temporary life, but will give us everything. With him, with salvation, he will give us everything forever and ever. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for Christ. We give you thanks for his sacrifice, for his death on the cross, and we give you thanks that this morning We are challenged to put our faith, and we put our faith and trust in him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. There is nobody else that we trust but him. So Christ Jesus, you are indeed our hero, the Savior, the one who is the Lord of the universe and the Lord of our hearts. So take our hearts and bless us with your presence, with the Holy Spirit, so that we can too follow you by faith and please you. Through our faith. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand And As you leave this place. If, remember, if you need to pray with somebody. There is a prayer room to my right. And somebody will be there waiting for you to pray with you. As we leave this place. The Lord blesses us with his words. May the love of God the Father. And the fellowship of the Spirit. And the power of Christ be with you. Amen. You may go in peace.